podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Wednesday, the 24th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access whatever it is you're geo-blocked from. By that, I mean if you're an English expat living abroad and want to access BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, SkyGo, you can do it by simply turning on your VPN, setting your location to the UK, tricking the internet and thinking you're in the UK, and watching away while keeping your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider with Trustpilot, offering 24-7 technical support. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D, to get 50% off at checkout. That's EPLPOD. 50% off, instant download onto whatever device you want, get using straight away. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can now find on Etsy. Download the Etsy app to your phone. Use the code EPL25 on the EPL Index shop or RED25 on the Anfield Index shop for a 25% discount. Right, folks, Champions League last night. Let's start with the most impressive performance of the night, Chelsea 4, Juventus 0. Trevo Chalaba, Reese James, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and a late goal from Timo Werner, giving Chelsea a very well-deserved and very comprehensive 4-0 victory. Chelsea went with a strong 11. Mendy in goal, Chalaba, Silva... And Rudiger is the back three. James, Kante, Jorginho and Ben Chilwell across the midfield. Hakim Ziyech and Callum Hudson-Odoi behind Christian Pulisic. Now, obviously, this is not the great Juventus team that we got used to a few years back. But still, there are quality players through that Juventus team. Federico Chiesa, Adrian Rabio, Manuel Locatelli, Rodrigo Bentancourt, Matthias Delict. And Leonardo, Leandro Bonucci, Leonardo Bonucci, very, very strong players. You'd have question marks over Quadrado, good going forward, garbage defensively. Alexandro has fallen off a cliff. Weston McKenney hasn't really developed. I mean, Alvaro Morata is still Alvaro Morata. And the goalkeeper is a big question mark. Uh, Chesney, he's better than he was at Arsenal. He shouldn't be playing for a club like Juventus. Juventus were dreadful, but Chelsea were excellent. And Reese James, in particular, was spectacular last night. This might have been the best performance of that boy's career. Now, not all good news for Chelsea. N'Golo Kante and Ben Chilwell picking up injuries that could keep them out for a little while. Luckily enough, they do have good depth in midfield. And they do have Marcus Alonso, who has been playing fairly well this season, who can step in at left wing back. 
But that means that Chelsea now top Group H. Same points as Juventus, but a vastly significant goal difference, uh, goal difference advantage. They will play Zenit St. Petersburg in St. Petersburg in the last game. Juventus will play at home to Malmo. Both sides are guaranteed qualification. And Zenit are pretty much guaranteed the Europa League spot. They have a massive goal difference advantage over Malmo as well as a three-point advantage. And you can't see Malmo going to Juventus and beating them there. So it should be Zenit through to the Europa League, Chelsea topping the group and Juventus in second place. Um, Second place will, of course, mean a, a more difficult tie. But there is the potential that they could get Manchester United, who will likely top their group now. Uh, good win last night over Villarreal in Villarreal. A 2-0 win in Group F. Cristiano Ronaldo and Jadon Sancho with late goals for United after what was a very, very boring game of football. For 78 minutes, 77 minutes, this was, this was dreck. This was awful to watch. United did look more solid at the back. That's worth saying. But they really did struggle to create anything until Bruno Fernandes came off the bench. And even at that, the two goals they got came from Villarreal mistakes. Now, United did somewhat press to win the ball back for the first goal. And Fred was heavily involved in both goals, which will upset some some Manchester United fans who are of the belief that Fred is the worst player that God has ever sent down. But the truth is, he's a decent player if used correctly. And he was used more correctly last night than he has been. And he played quite well. And he was involved in both goals. Cristiano with a nice finish. Goalkeeper in absolute no-man's land. Jadon Sancho with his first goal for the club on 90 minutes. A rifled right-footed shot from a Bruno Fernandes assist. Good for him to get off the mark. Good for him for confidence. Uh, might just quieten a few people as well who've been shouting about what a flop he's been. It hasn't really been his fault. United were good value for the win and through. Villarreal were really, really poor. And Villarreal now have to ensure they get a result against Atalanta in Bergamo on the final day to progress. Um, United will play young boys at home. They should beat them. They should beat them comfortably. Young boys did draw 3-3 with Atalanta last night in maybe maybe the game of the night. Zabata put Atalanta one up. Pefok equalised. Palomino put Atalanta 2-1 up. And then in the 80th minute, Sierra scored. Four minutes later, Hefty scored. And young boys were 3-2 up. And Atalanta looked in big, big trouble. But uh, Luis Muriel goal on 88 equalised and sent this to the draw. Atalanta, disappointing. Defensively, they just don't look right at all. It was the same against United. They just struggled to keep teams out. It's it's always been their issue, but the decision to let Romero go in the summer really is costing them. They don't look good at the back at all. They've conceded 10 goals in this group. Only young boys have conceded more. And it's not like United and Villarreal have high-powered attacks. United have the players to have one, but it doesn't work. Uh, and Villarreal are a defensive team. I mean, it's Unai Emery. Of course they're a defensive team. The surprise of this group is that they don't have five draws 
from five games. That would be the normal Emery mandate. Uh, other games last night then in Group E, Bayern Munich beat Dinamo Kiev 2-1. Lewandowski and Kingsley Coleman with the goals for Bayern. Harmash with the goal for Dinamo. And Barcelona drew 0-0 with Benfica. Now what that means is that Bayern are true, top of the group, 15 points, looking dominant. Barca currently sits second on seven points. Benfica are third on five points and Kiev have been eliminated. Barca or Bayern will take second and the other will take the Europa League spot. Now, they've got the same goal difference, but Barca have a two-point advantage. But Barca have to go to Bayern while Benfica play at home to Dinamo Kiev. And if Benfica win, Barca have to win in Munich. Benfica beat Barca 3-0 in the first game between the two. So they will have the head-to-head advantage. They've also scored more goals. And you would imagine they will beat Dinamo Kiev at home. So Barcelona are staring right down the barrel of Europa League football, which would be catastrophic for them, for their finances. They were banking on a run into the knockout phases this year. And of course, lots of people have rushed to blame Ronald Koeman. Uh, Ronald Koeman isn't the manager anymore. You could have beaten Benfica at home last night, but you didn't. That's not on Ronald Koeman. You'd also point out that the last two Champions League games that Ronald Koeman oversaw, they beat Dinamo Kiev in both. So this is not a Koeman thing. They lost to Bayern. Of course, Bayern are a much better team. The defeat in Lisbon was bad. But they beat Dino twice, and if they'd won last night, they would be guaranteed their path into the knockout phases. So that's not on Koeman. You can blame him all you want. Last night is not Ronald Koeman's fault. And the fact that they are now staring at, a, at an exit from the Champions League and a passage into the Europa League is not Ronald Koeman's fault. Um, the other group that was in action last night was Group G. This is the, the tightest group of the lot. Sevilla beat Wolfsburg 2-0. Joan Jordan and Rafael Mir scoring the two goals for Sevilla. Uh, Lille beat Red Bull Salzburg 1-0 with a Jonathan David goal. Lille are top on eight points. Salzburg are second on seven. Sevilla are third on six. And Wolfsburg are fourth on on five. All of them could still qualify, depending on how results go in the final games. The final games will be Wolfsburg at home to Lille and Red Bull at home to Sevilla. Sevilla know they need to win. They need to win that game or they're out. They're into the Europa League at best. Now, they might like that. They do like that competition. But at the same time, I think they'll be banking on getting themselves into the, into the knockout phases. Red Bull only need a draw. A draw will do them absolutely fine. The other game is the interesting one. If Wolfsburg were to go out and tonk Lille, they could really change this group around. Now, their their goal differential right now is poor, minus three. Everybody else is plus one. So they would need to give them a bit of a hiding, give Lille a bit of a hiding. But stranger things have happened in this competition. Stranger things have happened again and again. 
it's all shaping up very nicely for the last day. I mean, Group H doesn't really matter. It's it's done. It's just a matter of who's top, who's second. But Group G is really interesting going into the last day. Group F, it's just Villarreal or Atalanta. But if Young Boys could beat United and Villarreal beat Atalanta, Young Boys could get themselves into the Europa League. And then Group E with the Barcelona situation. That's the one to keep an eye on because there will be temper tantrums, massive temper tantrums, if Barcelona go out. Their fans will not be happy at all. I will point out, Barcelona have played their three home games. Now, the Camp Nou is one of the great stadiums in world football and currently has a capacity of 99,354. In their three Champions League games, they got 39,000 for the game against Bayern, 45,000 for the game against Dinamo, and 49,000 last night. Fans are staying away in their thousands from Barca, which again is not good for Barca's finances which already took a massive hit during COVID, were in the toilet long before that. But when you're well over a billion quid in debt, you kind of need as much money coming in as possible. And by half the stadium staying home, half the stadium being empty, that's millions per game you're losing out on. Millions per game. Barca need to get a plan together because things don't look good. They don't look good at all. You really do have to question so many of the decisions that have been made at that club in recent years, from managerial changes to transfers to front office personnel. Why they ever moved on from Valverde, I have no idea. Maybe Messi didn't like him. But speaking of Valverde... Manchester United have allegedly contacted him over the interim manager role to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, a couple of things on this. thought Paul Scholes made some really good points last night. Scholes said he thought Michael Carrick, Mike Phelan and Ewan McKenna should all have gone with Ole because they were with Ole throughout his tenure And they're as much to blame for the failure as him. And I do agree. I do agree that Carrick, Phelan, who's always been poor, and Ewan McKenna, who's very highly rated, but obviously was just part of this managerial group, they were all complicit in the failures that led to Oli getting sacked. Now, they got a good win last night. But it is fair to suggest that they probably should have been moved on. The issue for United is... They gave them all new contracts recently. It's really strange that they gave Oli a new contract in the summer, then gave all his backroom staff new contracts recently. As if they were planning to keep him until that disastrous Watford result. And that's maybe why they have no plan. That's maybe why they're scrambling around now trying to find an interim manager. Because if you even had doubts over Oli, and Antonio Conte was available. Regardless of the fact that the squad isn't particularly well set up for him, 
and he would likely need to go and buy three or four players. You do that. You bring in Conte if you can bring in Conte. Now, I said at the time it was a bad fit squad-wise, and I stand by that. Conte wants to play 3-4-3 or 3-5-2. Maguire and Varane, he could make work as two-thirds of a back three, and I think Luke Shaw could be the, the third piece in that. So Varane on the right, Maguire in the middle, Shaw on the left. Alex Tellez is a left wing back. They desperately need a right wing back because you couldn't play Juan Bissaka there with his his first touch. Uh, the midfield three, I think Bruno and Fred would have been fine as two of them, but he would have needed one more. And to be fair, he he'd probably want at least one up front, but he could go with Greenwood and Rashford. So maybe he would only need two signings just to get them moving in the right direction. Obviously, you'd like to upgrade on Fred. You'd you'd like to upgrade on the goalkeeper because De Gea is as good as he was to the first six to seven weeks of the season. He had been really poor for a couple of years, for probably three years. And his refusal to ever leave a six-yard box limits how you can play. Of course, that 3-5-2 would have meant no Sancho in the team. He might have had to play Cristiano, depending on the demands coming from above. But he's the type to just stick two fingers up, tell Cristiano to sit his ass down and carry on with what he wants to do. He likely would have wanted a, a more of a target man striker, um, the way he had Lukaku. He's previously had... Um, Diego Costa in that type of role. He does, Lorente at Juventus, he does like to have a big one and a small one up front. So maybe he would have needed to bring in a striker, in which case that's another big expense, plus one of Rashford or Greenwood also on the bench with Sancho. He could have gone 3-4-3, which he's done regularly in the past. But then United would have needed two central midfielders and the right wing back uh, and the striker. And you could play two of Greenwood, Rashford or Sancho. But there's no Bruno Fernandes in that team. Bruno can't play in that shape. So all things considered, it would have been a costly exercise to bring him in. But you bring him in if your manager is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And you have doubts over him and one of the four best managers in the world is available. You make that move. And you back him the way you backed Ollie with 400 million spent. The way you backed Mourinho with the better part of 300 million spent. The way you backed Van Hal with nearly 200 million spent. You back him. You've blown over a billion quid. You might as well blow a bit more. But it speaks to me that they didn't have plans to replace him. But that the Watford result was so bad and the performance was so pathetic that they had to move on. And maybe, maybe Cristiano having a tantrum and going to his agent and his agent then, who's very, very powerful in the game, going to the ownership and saying, look, something has to change here. Maybe that had a big effect. If it did, they're even more of a laughing stock than we thought. If they're allowing a player who most weeks is a negative impact player and his agent to dictate things after 
the way Mina Riola and Pogba have had them on strings for years, there's major, major issues that we're not even looking at. There's no figure of strength in that club from the top down. Bad ownership. Ed Woodward, completely out of his depth. No football knowledge. Board of directors that just don't seem to care enough. Alex Ferguson involved in decision-making that he really shouldn't have any say in. It, it probably is time for somebody United to tell Ferguson to stand down, to just enjoy his retirement, sit up in his seat in the stand, watch the games and have no input. But who's going to do that? There's nobody strong enough at the club. Ferguson is still the most powerful person at that club day to day. He's the one pushing decisions here and there. We've, we've seen rumours that he's the one behind Lauren Blanc's inclusion in the potential interim managers. He was behind Ollie. He was behind Moyes. He was behind Mourinho, even though Mourinho was clearly a busted flush at that time. The football director is a person with no experience in that kind of role. The technical director is Darren Fletcher, no experience. And they haven't had a strong manager, other than Mourinho. Van Hal is strong, but he's a lunatic. So you just kind of... With Van Hal, I kind of feel like the thing to do with him is to let him sit in a room that you've mocked up as an office and give him like an hour's training with the players each day or or tell them, you just sit here, we'll take care of the training, send out the coaches and then feedback fake reports to Van Hal. That kind of, let him think he's making decisions as, as if it's kind of like a Truman Show situation where it's all been done for a documentary, but he's in a fake little world. I feel like that's the approach to take with Van Hal. Mourinho, by the time he got there, was just devastated by what had happened at Chelsea with what had happened at Real Madrid. He wasn't the same guy. Ninth, uh, 2000s Mourinho, the Mourinho that was at Chelsea, that was at Inter, and at Porto, obviously, that guy would have told Ferguson to sit down and shut up. But nobody else at the club will. And until all these things are addressed, it doesn't really matter who the manager is. They're not going to have real success. But Ernesto Valverde is a good enough manager to get them top four. He's a problem solver. Now, I don't think he'd take the job till the end of the season. I think he'd want at least next season too, which is problematic if they think that Pochettino or Rodgers or Ten Hag might be interested in the summer. Valverde has been around. He spent a long time with Bilbao, managed their reserves, managed their first team. Was at Espanyol, Olympiacos, Villarreal, Olympiacos again, Valencia. Then he had four years at Bilbao. And then he had three years at Barca. And in his time at Barca, he won two league titles. He won the Spanish Super Cup with Bilbao. He won three league titles in Greece with Olympiacos. And he was a UEFA Cup runner-up with Espanyol. He has had success. He was the La Liga coach of the year in 2015-16 for the job he did with Bilbao. Wherever he's been, other than Espanyol, where the first season was pretty good, the second season, not so much. But wherever he's been, he's done 
very, very well. Villarreal would be the other one that he didn't do particularly great in, to be fair. But he did well at Valencia, did really well at Olympiacos in both spells. Like I say, won, won back-to-back La Ligas with Barca when, in truth, Real were the best team in the country. He's not a very exciting appointment in terms of his football isn't always the most eye-catching. Um, he, he's very pragmatic. He tends to set his team up in accordance with whatever players he has. He does like to play a pressing style, but it's not something that he's completely married to. He will go with a deep block if need be, which will suit United with Juan Bissaka, with Maguire. Obviously, there's issues in midfield that they need to address. The problem is, if you bring him in on an 18-month contract, how much are you really going to back him? If you bring him in on an interim basis, he's obviously going to be patching things together. United's midfield is not good enough to really do any damage this season. I'd be very interested to see how he'd use Bruno. I'd be very interested to see what he'd do with the attacking players. I don't think he'd be very keen on Cristiano, but he'd probably just play him just for, you know, peace and quiet. Uh, saw a bizarre piece on some weird website uh, that suggested that he was a very attack-minded coach and played an exciting brand of football. Um, no, not at all. Uh, the suggested lineup that this fella's put forward uh, has a midfield double pivot of Donny van der Beek and Fred uh, that team would get absolutely uh, decimated. Absolutely decimated. Um, total football analysis, if you subscribe to, to them, they've got some good pieces up on Valverde that would be well worth your while giving a, a read to. Uh, but I do think Valverde could do very well with United. The guy's a winner, a proven winner. Five league titles over his managerial career. He knows how to get the best out of players. He will use whatever pieces he has in the best way possible. He's not married to a style or a or a shape. He played often a 4-4-2 at Barca. He often played Sergio Roberto and Semedo as his right side. So two right backs there interchanging. But that was to allow a little bit of freedom to Messi, who was playing as one of the front two. I think Valverde is probably the best name. And I, I spoke to somebody on Twitter yesterday about him before this story. I think he's the best name they could go and get on an interim basis. But by interim, I mean 18 months. I mean, give him 18 months and see what he can do. Again, if they have Pochettino or Rodgers or Ten Hag lined up for summer, then I I don't know that Valverde is the right choice. But he might be willing to do it. if he, As Guy mentioned to me before we, we came live, if he goes there, does well, even if he leaves in the summer, he likely walks into another good job because he'll have proven himself at Manchester United. So, for example... If Rodgers was to go to United in the summer, Valverde would be a contender for the Leicester job. If Pochettino was to go, maybe Bar- maybe PSG would take a run at Valverde. 
He's managed overseas before. He didn't speak Greek and he got by. So while he doesn't speak particularly good English, or at least I don't think he does, uh, maybe he does, but I, I don't know. Um, he could certainly get by with translators and whatever else, as long as he's bringing his staff. I think he'd be fine. The guy just knows how to win games. It's as simple as that. And United needs someone that knows how to win games. Uh, Peter Schmeichel has suggested that they should go for Steve Bruce as the interim managers. Someone like Steve Bruce could be a really good option. He's a safe pair of hands to take care of the club for the season. Steve Bruce. Mark Hughes's name has been mentioned. Now, Mark Hughes is as unpopular with United fans these days as he is with others. His decision to manage Manchester City never sat well with United fans. But, I mean, Stoke fans and Southampton fans don't have much good to say about him either. Um, Mark Hughes is not a good manager. Mark Hughes should not be even managing anymore. If he gets another job, it's purely on the basis of his name, not his managerial ability. Uh, Steve Bruce, while from a comedic point of view, it would be very funny. I mean, you might as well go and appoint Hodgson or, or Big Sam. Like, you might as well go and appoint Big Sam. He he will stiff you for a survival clause. He'll want six million if he keeps you up. Whether you're in danger of going down or not is irrelevant to Big Sam. This is a man who took over an, an Everton team who were 11th, got them to, I think, 9th, and then got lauded for keeping them up. They weren't going down. Unsworth had basically saved them before he got in the door. He got six million for keeping them up. They were mid-table. When he took over. Sam is a, a shameless charlatan. Credit to him. Get all the money you can. But that Everton thing will never not be funny. Going down by the time he took over. November 30th, he walked in the door. That was game 14. They were 10th. 10th. They finished 8th. They lost 8 games with him. They'd lost 8 without him. He didn't really make much of a difference. He certainly didn't keep them up. They weren't going down. And Big Sam got 6 million as a bonus for keeping them up. They were 10th. It is marvellous what clubs will do. There are so many stupid football clubs. Now, look, admittedly, Everton had been 18th a few weeks beforehand. But they weren't going down by the time Sam took over. Nonsensical to claim that they were. Give him the United job. It'll be fun. Steve Bruce, though. Peter Schmeichel, he was a great goalkeeper. By God, he's a bad pundit. He recently said the Aaron Ramsdale save against Leicester was the best save he'd seen in years. I've seen three better saves this season.
There was a, an interesting back and forth last night between Jamie Carragher and uh, and Schmeichel, and uh, Carragher absolutely got the better of him. Absolutely got the better of him. You can't beat a bit of scouse wit. You just can't. They're so quick to react. Um. Yeah, Valverde for me, absolutely. Steve Bruce, no. Big Sam, why not? Why not? I'm going to take a break. I'll be back in a few minutes. Right, folks, welcome back. So, uh, not a whole lot else to do today. Just the Champions League games for tonight. In Group A, we have probably the tie of the week. Manchester City versus Paris Saint-Germain. The Oil Classical uh, should be a cracker of a game. City currently sit top of the group on nine points. PSG second on eight points. Club Bruges third on four. And RB Leipzig Bottom on one point. So City PSG tonight at the Etihad or the City of Manchester Stadium, as it's known, because you can't have your sponsor's name for UEFA games because then UEFA might lose out on some money. Uh, Club Bruges versus Leipzig in Bruges. That one is basically the battle for the the Europa League spot. And uh, Leipzig will be desperately disappointed if they don't get the win and give themselves the the foot up in the uh, in the Europa League because they should be going deep into Europe. There's good enough players there. They had a bad start to the season and it kind of screwed them in the Champions League as well. But they have turned things around. They've been a lot better. They were really good against PSG last time out. Uh, got a 2-2 draw. The game before that, they'd gone to Paris and probably should have beaten PSG. But two messy goals... Uh, gave PSG the victory. Uh, in Group B, Liverpool will play Porto at Anfield. Liverpool already through top of the group. And then Atleti versus Milan. It is basically shaking out as Atleti versus Porto for second place with the loser ending up in the Europa League. Milan have been a massive disappointment in this season's Champions League. But Porto do face Atleti in Porto in the final game. So... Porto need to not get demolished tonight and go into that game with some confidence. Um, Liverpool will probably rest a number of players. They're already through. They don't need to take any risks. But they'll likely still have a strong-ish team because Klopp has already made the point that there's a lot of money riding on each win here. The Atleti-Milan game should be fun. Um, the first game between them ended in a 2-1 win for Atleti with Griezmann and Suarez scoring late, late goals to give Atleti the win in in Milan. Uh, in Group C, Ajax are through, but it's Bayern and Sporting that are the teams to watch here, both on six points. They face each other tonight in Lisbon, and I genuinely feel like that should be a very, very good game. Uh, Besiktas will play host to Ajax. Nothing on the line for Ajax. Besiktas, I mean, they've still got a puncher's chance, really, 
of getting into the Europa League if they win both games, but it seems unlikely. And Ajax win or draw will set up a fascinating last day where Sporting will go to Ajax, Ajax having nothing to play for, and Dortmund will play Besiktas. Besiktas will likely be dead and buried by then. So everything rides on tonight, really. You would you would expect that if Ajax have nothing to play for, they'll play a lot of young players, and that Dortmund would beat Besiktas. So Sporting and, Besiktas, and Dortmund should win the last game. So it does come down to tonight. Dortmund won the first meeting between the two at the um, signal. Uh, the what's it called? The signal Iduna. Signal Iduna Park is the sponsorship name. The West Fallon Stadium is the official name. Um, so Sporting need to win tonight, and they need to win by a couple of goals to give themselves a chance. Really looking forward. That's the game I'm actually going to watch is Sporting versus uh, versus Dortmund. And then finally, we have Group D, where Inter Milan play Shakhtar and Sheriff Tiraspol play Real Madrid. Now, Sheriff did beat Madrid in Madrid in Week 2, which is maybe the biggest shock in the history of the competition. Um, that was after they beat Shakhtar in the first game. Now, the wheels have fallen off for them. They've lost their last two games. But, but, a draw here will guarantee them Europa League football moving forward. A win would really put the cat among the pigeons heading into the last game where they play Shakhtar and will fancy their chances of getting a result given how bad Shakhtar have been in the competition this year. But a draw should see them through to the Europa League and let them continue on on their European adventure, which would be brilliant. I mean... They're the first Moldovan club ever to reach the Champions League group stage. And there's a crazy, crazy story about Tiraspol itself uh, and where it's located. If you haven't read up on it, I really do recommend it. The, the breakaway, unrecognized state of Transnistria, which it's very strange. It's like the last outpost of the Soviet Union. It really is caught in time. Um, there's a really good, I think it's Yes Theory is the YouTube group or the YouTube channel where they went to this area. Um, I highly recommend watching it, but reading up on the story is fascinating as well. So that's that. Uh, that's tonight's games. A lot of fun games there. I, I think there's a lot of fun games to be watched tonight. And I think uh, we should all be well entertained in this second Champions League night of the week. We'll finish up with the gossip and be done for the day. Manchester United are ready to abandon their search for an interim manager if they can get Maurizio Pochettino from Paris Saint-Germain now. Well, that makes sense. If they can get him now, you get him now. I don't know that he will leave. I think a lot of it is fluff and bluster from a couple of journalists trying to get out ahead of a story that they're hoping will break the way they want it to break. Uh, former Real Madrid boss Zinedine Zidane wants to take over at PSG if Pochettino leaves. Does he, though? Because he was on French TV the other night saying he's not really looking to return to management yet, and all the talk around him is that he wants the French job after the World Cup. So... Who knows? Former Manchester United boss Sir Alex Ferguson 
who is a director on the fo- on the club's football board, will have no role in the search for a new manager. If you if you read this story carefully enough, it's from Mark Ogden. If you read it carefully enough, you can actually smell the manure coming off it. Uh, apparently, Darren Fletcher and John Murtaugh will lead the the charge in identifying the new manager. Uh, neither of whom are in any way qualified to do so. Uh, Murtaugh has worked his way up at the club. He was a sports scientist at Everton, um, moved to Everton with Moyes, and then was just kind of shifted sideways into this role. Fletcher was just given the role because he's Darren Fletcher. It's as simple as that. But if you read this story carefully, you can smell the manure. Ferguson's fingerprints will be on whatever comes next. Have no doubt about that. That man is single-handedly setting out to undo all the good he did as manager. Liverpool and Barcelona are both interested in Chelsea and the United States winger Christian Pulisic. Liverpool have had interest in him before. I doubt they have interest in him now. Especially at the price that they would want. And Barca have no money. Barca are just being linked with everybody. But I have great doubts that there's any truth in that story at all. Liverpool, Leicester and Newcastle are monitoring Ghanaian 20-year-old striker Agabu Kamara. First of all, he's not a striker. He's a midfielder. Uh, He plays for Olympiacos. He's a very good player, very talented. But he just moved to Olympiacos in the summer. So I really doubt anyone is going to be getting him anytime soon. Barcelona are looking at Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner as alternative options to Raheem Sterling. People get paid to print this stuff. This is what really amazes me on a daily basis. I get that you've got column inches to fill, but they have no money. Like, what part of them having no money is hard for people to understand? What part of La Liga's FFP rulings is difficult for people to understand? At most, Barca can spend about 11 million in January. And that has to factor in the wages of the player coming in. They could maybe, maybe afford to get Timo Werner on loan if Chelsea didn't charge them a loan fee. Maybe. Borussia Dortmund are preparing a new deal for Erling Haaland in a bid to convince the Norwegian international to stay. There's been talk of this for a while, that they'd like to get him to sign a new deal. It's not to to get him to stay. It's purely to remove the buyout clause. Because they know if Erling Haaland is on the open market with no buyout clause, he's probably 180 to 200 million pounds. 21, that profile, that track record already. Incredible talent. Once in a generation kind of player. Not this generational talent thing, but, you know, 6'4", built like a tank, moves like a speedboat, rocket launch of a left foot, dominant in the air, good hold-up play, works the channels, does everything well at 21 and scores at a ludicrous rate. And I do mean a ludicrous rate. It is it is just not natural for someone of his age to score at the, the rate that he does. Consider that in his time at Red Bull Salzburg, he played 27 games, scored 29 goals. 
steps up to the Bundesliga, which is which is a big step up from the Austrian Bundesliga. He's got 70 goals in 69 games since moving to Dortmund. Last season, he got 10 and 8 in European football. 8 and 6 the year he was at uh, Salzburg. Remember, he moved mid-season as well. It is ridiculous what this boy does. Absolutely ridiculous. 139 goals in 180 career games so far. And that's skewed by his first season at Molde and a season he played with a club called Brian, who are in the second division, I think it is, in Norway. He played 16 games and didn't score. But he was 16 years of age. So what Dortmund will likely do is they'll offer him a deal, a ridiculous weekly wage of... 300 grand a week that would be unsustainable for them over a long period of time, but will get them through to the end of this season. And then they'll sell it and they'll get 180 to 200 million from rather than the 75 or whatever the buyout clause is. Newcastle are interested in Borussia Dortmund midfielder Axel Witzel and the Belgian international whose contract expires at the end of the season is open to a move. So, Pre-Achilles tear, Axel Witzel was really, really good, playing very, very well. Post-Achilles tear, Axel Witzel hasn't been nearly as good. And I don't think Dortmund would be too sad to see him leave at this point. Didn't have the career he should have had. Was outstanding when he came through at Standard Liège. Went to Benfica. Then he made a bad move and went to Zenit St. Petersburg. Spent four years there. Then he went to China for a year. He wasted five years playing in third-tier leagues. With respect to the Russian league, it's a third-tier league. In large part, just because it's so far out of the way. But he wasted his, his best years. Now, I'm sure he made a ton of money. And I'm sure he's very, very happy. He's got 120 caps for the Belgian national team. So it never really affected him that he was playing in in substandard leagues. But he should have been in the Premier League or La Liga during his prime. And he would have been seen as one of the top midfield players in Europe. Very, very good player. Very, very good player. Um, could be an interesting signing for Newcastle who could do with some help in midfield. But you would think, just go a bit younger. Go a little bit younger. Uh, the Magpies also want to sign Kieran Trippier. He seems to be desperate for a move back to the UK. And if Newcastle can offer him all the money, then it would make sense. He's got he's got history with Eddie Howe, so you know that could make sense. Um, Newcastle hope to convince Bayern Munich head of recruitment, Laurent Busser, to join the club. Um I mean, there's very few clubs who do anything better than Bayern. So if you can steal people from their their hierarchy, why wouldn't you do it? Now, Booster has been at, at Bayern since 2018. Prior to that, he was the chief scout at Bayer Leverkusen for five years. And he did a very good job there. He's done a good job, obviously, at Bayern. Um, he would make sense. He would. That would be a very sensible but somewhat shocking appointment by Newcastle. 
Belgium's 26-year-old forward, Divock Origi, who is a target for Newcastle, will not be allowed to leave Liverpool in January. A correction, he will not be allowed to leave on loan. They'd sell him. You best believe they'd sell him. But they won't let him leave on loan. Real Madrid are interested in, Paris, in Manchester City's 22-year-old Spain fullback Pedro Porro, who is on the second year of a two-year loan at Sporting. Now, he is very, very promising. Um, definitely more of a wing-back than a full-back. But I think City should keep him. Because Kyle Walker's getting older. And he would be a really good backup option there. And if you could have him on one wing and Zhao Canseo on the other, that could be an awful lot of fun. He was key in Sporting's title win last season. Um, I, I think City, if they sell him, will get good money for him. But I don't think they'll demand ridiculous money. But I think City should keep him. Uh, Leeds are considering a January loan move for Ross Barkley. This one makes sense to me. I think Barkley would fit in well with the players that are already there. I think he could play in one of those two number eight roles that Bielsa uses. Um, he's playing well again for Chelsea. He was really good in the first half of last season for Villa. When Villa were humming, Barkley was massively important for them. Grealish obviously got all the the credit because, well, it's Grealish. But they went into the toilet when Barkley got hurt. Not when Grealish got hurt. They were bad before Grealish got hurt. And he was playing poorly before he got hurt. Barkley was really important to them. Um, and if if he can get back to form, he can be a good player. Leeds might suit him. Back up the north, close to home. Could be one to keep an eye on. Uh, Stephen Gerrard has sanctioned the sale of Bertrand Traore in January. Unlikely. Unlikely that he would do that already, but, you know, it is Wayne VC, so we'll put that where it belongs, and then we'll flush twice. Um, Gerard wants to sign Spain, Spain centre-back Pau Torres. Now, he does need a left-sided centre-back, but Pau Torres is not going to Aston Villa, nor are Aston Villa paying £50 million for anybody. Um, don't be surprised to see Pau Torres to Spurs. Spurs went for him in the summer. They had a bit accepted. He decided he wanted to stay and play Champions League football with Villarreal. Don't be surprised to see Spurs go back in for him. And I think he'll go and play for Conte. He's ideal for Conte's back three. As the left-sided one in Conte's back three, I actually don't think they could find many better. Um, Liverpool and Spain midfielder Thiago Alcantara has dismissed speculation linking him with a move back to Barcelona which is good news for all who love aesthetically pleasing football. What a wonderful, wonderful player. Absolutely outstanding at the weekend against Arsenal. Arsenal and Switzerland midfielder Granit Xhaka would be interested in returning to Borussia Mönchengladbach when his contract ends in 2024. Right. Brilliant. I'm sure they'd be delighted to get him back. 32, slower than ever, broken, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Burnley, Brighton, Norwich, West Brom, Sheffield United and Blackburn have all watched English striker Rhys Healy who plays for Toulouse in the French second division. Um, he's having himself a hell of a time in France. So he's very much been a bit of a journeyman. He, 
came through non-league Welsh football. Um, then he went to Cardiff and never really got any kind of opportunity. Had a whole bunch of loans that didn't go particularly well. Colchester, Dundee, did well at Newport, uh, did really well at Torquay. Then he got a good move and went to MK Dons. Did well as part of their promotion push from League 2 into League 1. Then he did really well after the permanent move and stayed in League 1 with them. Uh, but then Toulouse picked him up for an undisclosed fee. And he has banged in goals for them. He's got 27 goals in 49 games. Which is a good return. I don't think he's a Premier League calibre striker. So I would say to Burnley and Norwich... No. Sorry, Burnley and Brighton, no. Norwich, yes, because Norwich are going to be in the championship next year. And he's the type, I think, that would fit with what they need. He'd be a good fit at West Brom. He'd be a really good fit at Blackburn, who could do with someone to replace Armstrong, who left in the summer. Sheffield United, I mean, you've already got Rian Brewster. Let the boy play. Let the boy play. Play him consistently. Let him work through the bad stuff. And you will get a good player at the back end of that. That is me then for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. Do remember to check out the Anfield Index and EPL Index shops. And have a look at that Liberty Shield offer. EPL pod, 50% off. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.